0: Well, Romans 6, let's read. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we'll break that down. Romans 6, beginning in verse 15, says this. What, then, are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means, by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, that you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and, in its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I was watching the news, um, I think it was about a couple weeks ago, and I had seen on the news that. Uh, the President and the First Lady were over in India, and they were, and they were visiting the, the tomb of Gandhi. Now, I, I then noticed on the news that, that Gandhi was assassinated, and that kind of blew me away a little bit, to be honest with you, because I'm like a big history buff. When I'm at work, the guys are like, oh, what are we watching, Cap, you know, at night? History Channel? You know, it's kind of like, well, you can watch whatever you want, as long as it's the History Channel. <laughs> so... I I, w- I had no idea that, that Gandhi was actually assassinated, and so I even said to my wife, did you know that Gandhi was assassinated? And I, I can't remember. I didn't think you did either, um, so there's two of us, maybe more. You, okay, all right, raise your hand if you didn't know, you know, if you didn't know, Ga- I thought Gandhi was just an old guy. I thought he just died of old age, but uh, I, was, I was kind of blown away, so I... I I did a little reading. I had to jump in the history books a little bit, and I wanted to find out a little bit more about Gandhi. I knew some stuff, but I wasn't really apparently up to speed what Gandhi had done. So he was born in 1862. He was old, so I was right in that area, okay? He was an old guy, but so he was born in 1862. But, you know, what he did in his life, it was really interesting, as I read more about it. And it was really inspiring, too. But he missed the point. He missed the main thing, is what I noticed. This is what Gandhi stood and worked for. So he was born in 1862. He died in 1948. So he was a pretty old guy, right? But this is what he did. He fought for the freedom of enslaved and oppressed people for over 30 years. That sounds good so far, doesn't it? And he's rightly recognized as one of the world's greatest leaders in this regard. He he protested racial legislation in South Africa, and he led civil disobedience campaigns in his native India in order to secure a home rule. And he was especially noted for his commitment to his ways of nonviolence. He was always a nonviolent guy. You know, his self-discipline and his denial as well as his championing of the underclass within the caste system. You know, it's been said that the theme of his life revolved around this very question. How can people know freedom from slavery politically, socially, or internally within themselves? How can people know freedom from slavery? And as I thought about that quote right there, I thought, you know, how can we as Christians, how, as a believer, how can we know that we can be free from the reigning power of sin in our daily life? And it started got me thinking about things. But Gandhi went on further, okay? I want to read a little bit further what he did. Near the end of Gandhi's life, he made the following comment. He said, what I, wanted, what I really want to achieve What I've been striving and pining to achieve these 30 years is self-realization. But then he goes on to say, "To To see God face to face, to attain moksha, which is spiritual deliverance. For I have not yet found him, but I am seeking after him, for it is an unbroken fortune to me that I am still so far away from him. I have not seen him, and neither have I known him. All those years, neither have I seen him, nor do I know him. But church, according to Jesus Christ, a Christian knows God. He knows God, and he's been spiritually delivered from sin. Therefore, Christians, we need to live like it's so, right? He thought Gandhi thought he was reaching it. He thought he had, he had reached the pinnacle. But he, like I said earlier, he missed the point. He did a lot of really good things. He did some amazing things. For the payoff, church, of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And we should be living like that because we know God. And we can see God through his word. You know, the gospel's made every provision for this reality in our lives. And believer, church, have you resolved that sin will no longer have dominion over you? Just like Gandhi trying to, to get to that point, to make to the reach that point of self-deliverance and this self-realization, and and we know that he he didn't make it. Which is which is sad, right? But as a believer, have we reached that point? And I want you to keep that in mind as, as we go through this, these passages today. You know, and what Paul's saying throughout this, uh, this chapter 6 is to have a proper understanding of grace is what's important. And the fact that Christians are no longer under the law, it should lead to a freedom from sin and enslavement to enslavement to obedience. And that's what Paul's talking about here. So let's dig into this. The first thing we see, if you have your outline, if you take notes, is we see that we have a problem here. And this is what Paul is addressing. So we're going to have a problem and a fix today. So verse 15 says this, What then, question, are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? by no means is what Paul says Paul's asking a rhetorical question here and he's actually, it's the second time he asks a question if you, if you can easily look back at, at chapter 6 verse 1 there's another rhetorical question there and, and basically he's asking if the, they're talking about should we sin more so that grace could abound more so if I keep sinning more, will I get more grace? Okay, that's, that's what Paul's dealing with there and and both times Paul answers this question, what's he say at the end? By no means. No, is what Paul's saying. You see, church, grace does not give us the freedom to do whatever we want. We can't just go out and, oh well, God's so graceful and merciful, and just continue to just sin and just sin more and more. That's not what they're talking about here. It doesn't, it, you know, grace does not give us the freedom to live life without restrictions. This life is not a free-for-all because of the greatness of God's grace. Let me give you an example. Okay, as a child, when I was a, when I was a kid, and my kids know this, okay? They know this too. And you know this because you were a child, right? You knew what your parents expected from you. You knew exactly what was right and wrong. And you knew when you did wrong and when you did right. Right? You guys knew that. And I, I knew every expectation at a very young age. And the problem that I had was I was born with this sin problem. That was my problem. I knew right from wrong, and sometimes I chose right, sometimes I chose wrong. You see, my sin was appealing to me, even as a young child, and and I desired it. And the reality is, is I didn't need to sin more to gain forgiveness and grace from my parents. I didn't need to go, well, I'm going to test them here, So I'm going to sin and do more wrong things so that my parents could forgive me more or they could show more grace upon me. No, I got more spankings and I got more time outs and I got more times grounded is what happens. There was consequence to that. So it it would be like, well, I'm just going to be a bad kid so that my parents will love me more, so that my parents will buy me bigger Christmas gifts or something. I mean, it's almost the same mindset. It doesn't work that way. Let's look on in verse 16. So Paul's already said, should we sin more to receive more grace? No. And then he says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, that you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. See in verse 16 here Paul gives an what's called an axiom. Okay, and I had to look up this word a little bit further. I started as I was studying it. And here's what an axiom is. It's a general truth that is so evident that it needs no further explanation. So I could leave it with that, but I'm going to give you a further explanation. Okay? Sorry, cuz that's what Paul does throughout chapter 6. He continues to to re say the same things over and over. And what the axiom is here is, do you not know? Do you not know? And and it's almost like, well, haven't you heard? Don't you know this is what Paul's saying here. It should be so obvious, but he has to say it. He's had to say twice in chapter 6, by no means should we sin more to receive more grace. So he changes it here. Do you not know? So we kind of have to ask ourselves, what, do we not know what here? Well, it's right here in, in these two verses. He's making a very distinctive comparison. Paul's basically saying you're going to be a slave to either one of two masters. Do you not know that you're going to be a slave to one of two things? You're either going to be a slave to sin or you're going to be a slave to obedience to a holy God. And we see the evidence of this further in verse 16 when he says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. See, church, we have a choice here. In the very beginning of that verse, we see the phrase, present yourselves. And this phrase, present yourselves, is really, it's a willing obedience. And this is where free will comes in. Okay, I have a lot of people me, Scott, I know you've had a lot of people, well, where does free will fall, right? How as a believer do I have free will? You have a free will right here. You have a free will in this comparison. I, have, I can either present myself as slaves to sin or slaves to right obedience in God. That's where free will comes in. It's all about obedience. So, here's here's the rough part, guys. As an unbeliever, you can only be a slave to sin. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're only a slave to sin and that's sad. But there's hope, church. I don't want to be all negative here. Okay, there's actually hope continuing on in verse 17. It says in verse 17, but thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Here Paul now begins to He basically starts to apply the principles of which he started. That a person's either a slave to sin and Satan or a slave to righteousness and God. Now, like I said just a little bit ago, Paul's going to be pretty repetitive. And I think, believers, is this not true that we need to hear it over and over oftentimes? I need to hear it. I need to hear it so often. But he's, he's, he's getting pretty repetitive here. And and I think we need to be reminded regularly of our position in Christ as a believer. But verse 17, the hope comes from this. There should, this should be a cry, the very first part, but thanks be to God. Thanks be to God because if we try to fix this on our own, it's never going to work. It's only through God that we could no longer be slaves to sin. We're only in this position because of what God did for us. The fact that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. That he sent his son to die on the cross for the things that we deserved. The things that we did wrong. Jesus didn't do anything wrong. And the fact that we can have a hope in salvation and freedom from sin that so enslaved us. Thanks be to God. When it talks about that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you have committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I love what was read this morning, you know, the, that we are free from it because of what God did. And yet we still struggle, right, church? We still struggle. You know, our thanks for the salvation that he talks about here, that we might have hope of salvation and freedom from sin. Our thanks for salvation should always be to God alone. It's nothing we do. It's nothing we've done. It's, to, it's for what God's done. And, and it's God alone who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see up there also where it talked about uh, having be, becoming obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you're committed. What Paul's talking about there, the, the things that you have learned the things that you have read, the things that you have memorized, I think it's so important church. Think about this first. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not against the yeah. Think about that. The importance of memorizing scripture so that it comes back and reminds us that when we're confronted with sin and the choice that we have, are we either going to be a slaves of sin or a slave to righteousness? that it's important that we understand the teaching, that we understand that we get in God's Word, that we memorize it, so that that will help us to remember of what we're supposed to do. It also talks about the obedience from the heart. In verse 17, righteousness is not an outward expression or, or looking merely righteous. Okay? And too often... You know, we see people that are just like, well, we, we appear to be, we use the right Christian words, right? We appear to be righteous. We appear to act like we're a good person, like a good Christian. But really, the, the, what happens is inside of us, we have this battle raging, and, and, and we're warring within ourselves is what's oftentimes happening. But righteousness is not an outward expression, Really, it's, it's, it's an inner working of God is what's happening in our hearts. In fact, our hearts are completely transformed, completely changed when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. Our hearts take on a radical transformation that changes both the way we think and the way we act. We now have the ability to no longer to continue in sin. Look again at verse 18. Having been and now having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. You see, church sins a problem for both the believer and the unbeliever. In fact, in uh, chapter seven of Romans, Paul writes this, and it's it fits so perfectly with I know how I feel in life, and I'm sure how you feel in life. You guys struggle with sin, isn't it maddening? Isn't it frustrating? You know, as you go through this. But in, verse, in chapter 7, Paul writes this, verse 15, for I do not understand my own actions. He goes on to say, for I do, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Continuing on in verse 18 of chapter 7 says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. You know, the only way we can carry it out, church, is to remain in obedience to what God's called us to do. We're never going to reach perfection in this lifetime. It never will happen. When I take my last breath, that's when I'll reach perfection. That's when my process of sanctification is over. Praise be to God. Amen? Now, don't say amen about dying for me, okay? But, you know, praise be to God for my last breath, right? Because then we'll be made perfect. And it's so, it's so difficult during this. You know, I hope that for myself and for you, church, that our desire through God's process of sanctification is that we're desiring to sin less and less. You know, I remember hearing as a kid, you know, we'll never be sinless. You guys heard this, right? But hopefully you'll sin less and less. And that's, that should be our pendulum swing, that our desire is that we would sin less. We'll never be sinless here on earth. Let's continue on in verse 19, church. And here we see the fix, okay? So everything we've, you know, as you're sitting there and you're, you're hearing, it's like, oh, yeah, I struggle with this sin and I struggle in here and I, I fight this and I continually fight this. How do we get out of this? Well, we start to see what the fix is here in verse 19. Verse 19 says, I'm speaking in human terms. That's really good, because that's us. I'm speaking at your level is what he's saying. I'm speaking in human terms, terms because of your natural limitations. Some translations may say because of the weakness of your flesh. Okay, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So far, church, you, you might be sitting there thinking like, well, okay, if I'm no longer a slave to sin, why am I still sinning? Why am I still sinning if I'm free from sin? And here we see the fix. See, Paul understands that we struggle with sin, Because of our natural limitations and the weakness of our flesh. Paul himself in chapter 7 talks about his weakness and his sin and his continual struggles that he had with it. The fact that he hated it is what he said. But Paul reminds us here catch the tense, okay? For just as you once presented, we see presented again, it's a choice. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and the lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Paul uses two terms here, impurity and lawlessness. Now, this one actually refers to both the inward and outward sin. The unregenerate person is both internally and externally sinful. As the unbeliever continues just to live out their sinfulness... It results in further lawlessness. I could say it this way: If as the unregenerate, unrepentant person is both continues to live out their sinfulness, it just results in further lawlessness or further sinfulness. It just keeps building. but you know sins like a cancer church, and I know some of us are going through it right now with cancer and have gone through it and And we know what cancer does. And cancer left alone in your body will continue to grow more and more cancer. And it starts to just take over more and more of the parts. And it's, I mean, cancer is a terrible thing. And eventually, it destroys the entire body if it's left alone. And that's the problem. If we leave sin alone, it'll destroy us. It'll continue to eat us up. But for the believer, we have that hope. It is possible to resist sin and live righteously. Last half of verse 19, look at that again. So now, present. This is our action. This is our call. This is what we need to be doing. We need to present our members as slaves to righteousness, which leads to sanctification. You see, just as life of sin leads to more sin, a life of righteousness, church, will lead to further righteousness. And it's not just me saying this. This is what Paul's saying. This is what the Word of God says. This is the fix. Church, (laughs) I understand that all believers go through times. Rough times, a struggle and a feel, and times of just feeling defeated. I've been there. But the key is to continue to seek righteousness that leads to further righteousness. In fact, as I was studying for this uh, sermon today, I found a quote from Martin, Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is what he said. As you go on living this righteous life and practicing it with all of your might and all of your energy and all of your time, You will find out that the process that went on before, in which you went from bad to worse, is completely reversed. And you will become cleaner and cleaner, purer and purer, and holier and holier, and more and more conformed into the image of the Son of God. You see, church, nobody stands real still for long. Nobody stands idle forever. You'll have seasons of your life where, you know, it's, you're just kind of there, right? You've you've had that before. But you're either going to be heading towards more and more sin or you're going to be heading towards obedience of righteousness. And that's where you're going to go. That's where I've gone. And trust me, I've done both, okay? I'm not up here perfect. I'm not up here because I've figured it all out. You're heading in one direction, always. And here's the, here's the reality. It takes effort. It takes effort to, to move towards righteousness. It takes zero effort to move towards sin. That's why we struggle, church. It takes zero effort. Verses 20 and to 22, we see the promise of this, of this moving towards righteousness And Paul again just reminds us again, he's just saying it in a different way here. Verse 20 says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things brings death. But now that you have been set free from sin, the comparison, and having become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and in its end, eternal life. See, Paul again is reminding us over and over that you were once, past tense, you were once slaves to sin. But what did it gain you? Nothing. So if you're here today and you're an unbeliever and... and you find yourself that you realize, I'm a slave to sin. I've never been repentant of my sin. What it's saying here, in verse 20, is righteousness has no hold of you. You can't be seen as right. The fruits that Paul's talking about are worthless. You know, In fact, you might be sitting there thinking, like, well, I do a lot of good things. I'm a good person. But the reality is, as good is not good enough. You can be the greatest giver to charity and helping out people. But that's great. But it's not good enough. Now the fruit that uh, Paul talks about later, those are the ones that have been set free from sin in verse 22 and they have become slaves of God. That fruit leads to sanctification and it's end, eternal life. In fact, Paul talks about his own good works prior to being saved, in in uh, Philippians three eight, he talks about it as being rubbish or dung. Dung—that's a good way to describe your good works. What'd you do today? I made dung. <laughs> you know, I mean, think about that. That's how—that's how lowly. That's how—that's how below the standard Paul set this. But there's hope again, church. Now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and in it's, and its end, eternal life, eternal life with the holy God. But in conclusion, church, Paul summarizes it all right here in verse 23. It, it just ends perfectly here. It says this, "For the wages, and you guys know this verse, "For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus the Lord." Our Lord. See, a life lived in unrepentant sin leads to death. And not only death from what we think of as our life here on earth, it's not this is a this is an eternal death separated from God, what he's saying here. The wages of sin is death. Doesn't mean that you're just merely dead. It means you will spend eternity away from God in hell. But God's free gift of salvation that Paul's talking about here is given to those who believe, who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And what's the result? This free gift is eternal life in Christ, with Christ, through Christ in heaven. So if you're here today and, and you, you're sitting there saying to yourself, I don't know if I've ever put my faith and trust. I've never even realized that I was that bad of a sinner, that I've never confessed my sin to God. I've never actually lived a righteous life, come to think of it. Today can begin a whole new life in Christ for you today. And if you're here today and, you, and you've and you never done that, I want you to come see me after, after service today. You can come see Pastor Scott, myself. We'd love to talk to you. Further, but also in just a minute, guys, we're getting ready to uh, to end our sermon. We're going to take communion. We're going to take some time to reflect. And if you're here and in, in, as a believer, and you're just like, man, I am stuck in sin. I know I'm a believer, but I'm a slave to name it. God calls us to be a slave to righteousness. Scott and I were meeting beforehand with the worship team and Scott prayed a a simple prayer that we would hear the word of God today. He didn't just stop there. That we'd not only hear the word of God, that it would change and transform our lives. And that's what the word of God does. So if you're here today as a believer and you just continue to struggle with it, don't sit there and think you're the only person struggling with sin because you're not we all struggle with skin with sin Paul struggled with 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 sin continuously he hated it actually so if you're here today don't don't leave without getting this right we see the fix we know what our problem is we see the fix the fix is to desire righteousness to repent from our sins to get our eyes focused back on a holy God, a God who saved us, who loved us so much to send His Son to die for us, to cover our sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am grateful that, Lord, you saw fit to cover our sins. So, Father, that you saw fit that to cover uh, to send your son to die on the cross, Lord, that that you could see us as holy and righteous. And Father, I am so thankful that, that, Lord, you have given us the ability, Lord. We don't fully always understand why you left us with the ability to sin, but Father, we know it's in your perfect plan because it's your perfect plan of salvation and redemption and through the process of sanctification, Lord. Father, we thank you, that you loved us so much to call us your sons and your daughters, Lord. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, that today, Father, would be a day of salvation. That they would understand their need for you, Lord. That, Father, they would would confess their sins, Lord. And, Father, put their faith and trust in you, Lord. Father, I also pray for those who are here that might be struggling in in various sins, Lord. that, That, Father, you would just cause them to Take a good look, Lord. And Father, to to confess their sins also, Lord, to you, a holy God, ready and willing to hear. Father, but more importantly, to forgive. Lord, I thank you for your perfectness, Lord. I thank you for your perfect forgiveness, for your perfect mercy, and for your perfect grace, Lord. Help us, Lord, that we would become more and more like you, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we hand out the communion...